I think that Google's going to really lean a lot more on EEAT and particularly people's expertise and experience in certain areas. And I think that's what's going to matter most, right? You know, in theory, like if someone's publishing on a large website and doesn't have good experience or expertise, I think Google's not really going to promote that content, even though it's on a big name site. I think that's the future is Google can recognize expertise a lot better than it used to. And I think it's only going to get better. So I think those publishers that can really have people that demonstrate that expertise and experience in those areas are really going to be the ones that win in the long run. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I'm your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search right now. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Jeffrey Troll. I know Jeffrey back from his days at Student Loan Hero, where he built and scaled an incredible organic search strategy, which ultimately led to that bootstrap startup being acquired for a reported $60 million by LendingTree. Today, Jeffrey is the founder of Impactfully Media, a content marketing and SEO agency. And Jeffrey is one of the best in high competition verticals like consumer finance. In our episode today, I'm excited to learn more about his approach to building organic search channels in competitive industries and get his thoughts on what is working in SEO and what isn't working and where we go from here as the landscape changes. We've got a lot to cover and I'm excited to get started. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. At Positional, we're building tools for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a great selection of tools for everything from content optimization to keyword research and technical SEO. And you can visit our website at positional.com. Hey, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm excited to chat today. Thanks, Nate. Super excited to be here. You know, we've known each other from afar for many years now. Obviously, was a big fan of all of the work you did at Student Loan Hero. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I was uh, was not a little jealous for many years uh, watching you scale that website and the organic strategy to what became, I think, the largest blog in the student loan space. And I myself was also building a blog in the consumer finance space. And I'd also be lying if I didn't say that I took some inspiration from all of that great work that you did at Student Loan Hero. So I'm excited to chat about that today. First off, would love to learn like a little bit more about you and your background. How did you get into content marketing and SEO as your career path? And what are you working on today? Yeah, it all started for me probably around 2010. And I just started, you know, learning about blogging, like a lot of people got intrigued by it. Not gonna lie, I was intrigued by the idea of making money from blogging and being like a full time blogger or something like that. I started off a blog personal finance blog actually called Money Spruce. And I was just publishing my own articles on there with personal finance tips, things like that. It was, you know, pretty general and kind of generic to look back on, but uh, I learned a lot along the way and really got interested in SEO while I was doing that. I was like, oh, wow, this like is a pretty interesting way to get traffic. You know, you can basically get free traffic from Google if you can figure out how to do it right. So I really started trying to learn SEO, really intrigued by, you know, the idea that there's this algorithm that controls who gets traffic and who gets what rankings in Google. And I just really liked learning about that. I have a very analytical background. I have two engineering degrees, so I'm not actually like really a, a businessy person or like a writing person. I'm an engineer, so I'm very 
analytical. I like kind of the, the details of things, tools, all that kind of stuff. So I really started learning more about SEO, getting more into kind of the content marketing side of things just beyond writing and really, you know, started working with clients and pitching the fact that I understood SEO, understood keyword research and how to optimize posts and things like that. That really snowballed into a freelance writing career. And then um, to my time at Student Loan Hero, where I was a content strategist and content director there. And now as a SEO and content marketing consultant on my own for Impactful Media. Yeah. And I found that an engineering background is actually pretty common when I'm talking to some of the best in content marketing and SEO. I think these folks tend to be very process driven, very detail oriented. And I've actually found like quite a few uh, folks in my network with this kind of formal training and engineering have gone on to become great SEOs and content marketers. How'd you make that jump from building your own personal finance blog into working with Student Loan Hero? Did you start working with them as like a consultant first or a writer? And then ultimately you went on to essentially own the organic search strategy? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty gradual change. I, I was doing, you know, doing my own blog for a while. And then I started taking on freelance writing clients on the side. So I was writing blog posts for a lot of clients for a few years before that, just, you know, anything about credit scores, student loans, debt, all that kind of stuff. Andy at Student Loan Hero approached me about writing for them. And it's kind of a funny story. At the time, I was really sick of personal finance writing. And I was like, oh, man, like, I really want to get out of this area. Like, I'm so sick of personal finance. And it's just like a grind doing all these articles. But I was like, well, I'll just pitch them like a really high rate. And if he he says, yes, I guess I'll do it. And so I pitched him like a, a higher rate than normally would. And he did say yes. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm writing for this student loan hero site now. <laughs> and uh, so I actually ended up kind of liking it. I really liked working with Andy. He was really, you know, supportive and helpful and not overly demanding. After being a freelance writer for them for about six months, they offered me a full-time role to be the fourth full-time person at Student Loan Hero and to come on as a content strategist. So basically manage the whole blog publishing an SEO strategy for the company. How big did that blog ultimately become? I know you were there for a number of years and I've seen the the traffic on Ahrefs. From like your view uh, with that first person data, like how much traffic were you guys actually driving to Student Loan Hero at that peak moment right before you sold the company? In terms of organic traffic, um, I can't remember exact numbers, but it was pretty close to a million unique visitors a month to the site. So that's amazing. Is that? Yeah, a million visitors a month from organic search, especially in like a highly competitive vertical like consumer finance. That's incredibly hard to do and also really, really valuable. Um, and I think we saw that when Student Loan Hero was was ultimately acquired. One of like the interesting things that's happened since the acquisition is that Lending Tree ultimately ended up like 301 redirecting the old Student Loan Hero site over to their primary domain, which I think maybe you had joked about or somebody else had joked about. It was like the most expensive 301 redirect of all time. <laughs> was it a little like bittersweet to see like all of that like hard work and building ultimately get rolled into like another domain or did you feel good about it when you when you'd seen that news? Yeah, was, I'd say very bittersweet. You know, it's put a lot of heart and soul into those blog posts and the traffic and everything that went with it for years. So it's definitely hard to see it kind of disappear overnight. Uh, it's kind of a weird feeling that kind of, you know, hundreds or thousands of pages of content and I don't know how many millions of words that would be are suddenly just mostly gone or maybe transformed or something like that to a different website. But um, it's pretty, pretty bittersweet and pretty just like a strange feeling to kind of have that work kind of no longer be out there anymore. Yeah, but I do think, like I said, you you did an amazing job, and and I know it was a it was a rather large team at at Student Loan Hero behind the organic search 
operations and, and scaling that channel. Like how big did the organic search team, including like writers and editors and strategists ultimately get when like the company was ultimately acquired? Yeah, it was, it was about 30 people. It was 25 to 30 people on the team at that point. So grew quite a bit over, over about three years from basically just me being the only full-time person to um, you know, like a, a full size team, I guess you could say. I know like you first started in content marketing and SEO back in like 2011, 2012. Does that sound about right? Yep. Yep, exactly. How has organic search changed in the last 10 or 11 years since like you first started building or thinking about organic search to where it was maybe in 2017 or to where it is today in 2023? Like what has changed? What things are the same? Um, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that, given you actually have a a longer perspective than I do. Kind of the obvious one is this, there's a lot more content out there, right? A lot more competition. And I think, you know, most most points in time, you could look and say that, right? And so that's kind of a continuous trend. But I think it really is true these days. I'm, I mostly still work in the personal finance and financial services spaces. And there's just a lot of big players in those these days that are competing for what feels like, you know, every keyword, every question people have, anything you can write about. You know, I look at like Nerd Wallet in their student loan section, for example. And it's like, I feel like they've tapped out every idea that there is to write about student loans and pretty much every perspective. And if you're going up against sites like, you know, Nerd Wallet, Forbes, credible big sites like those, uh, Lend.edu as well, it just feels like really hard. Like you're really fighting an uphill battle if you're a little guy. And again, I think that's been the case for a while, but I think it's even harder now. Back when I was at Student Loan Hero, like a lot of the times we were the first to write a lot about a lot of content, right? back in 2014, 2015, or at least the first to do, maybe do a really good job. So I think the competition is just really ratcheted up. There's a lot of big players now that you're competing against. And if you're a newcomer or you're a smaller site with a limited budget, it's just going to be that much harder. Would it be crazy to try to rebuild a student loan hero today in 2023? Of course, it'll be a different domain name like student loan pro. But if you and I were to like start a, a new student loans focused website in 2023, would it just be impossible or it would just take like a lot more capital and a lot more time? I think it would take a lot more capital for sure in time. I think kind of going about it the same way, I'm not really sure it would work either. I think Student Loan Hero was just very broad. It was, you know, geared towards anybody repaying their student loans, right? Which I think a lot of student loan content is out there. And I just don't think that strategy works that well for a lot of newer sites these days. I know people always say to niche down and really think about an audience or not be super broad. And I think that's probably more the case than ever if you're starting a new site at this point, right? Because you're just going to, you're going to run into the big guys. I do think Google is favoring a lot more reputable sites these days as well. There are times when Student Loan Hero outranked the Department of Education website, which is like pretty wild. <laughs> like you're outranking a .gov website. And I just don't think that stuff happens as often anymore. So I think it's, it's a little bit different landscape in how Google treats things too. So I don't think I would try to create a Student Loan Hero website exact same way today. I just don't really think it would work very well. One of the things that I think you did an incredible job of at Student Loan Hero back in like 2015, 2016, in those years, as, as we were also building a student loan focused website was I think you guys did an amazing job of matching your content to individual search intents. Like everybody is talking about search intent in 2023. But I feel like back in like 2016, like a few people were talking about search intent, but it wasn't actually something that like I spent a whole lot of time thinking about or talking about with our team. But then looking back, like you guys did an incredible job of ranking like a very large number of posts for very, very specific queries. And you didn't run into like the standard issues of 
keyword cannibalization, at least from my view. So how did you think about like search intent in 2015 and 2016? And then how are you thinking about search intent today with like the clients you're working at with Impactfully Media? Yeah, that's a great question. That's something I think about a lot and I think is uh, just crucial to the work that I do and the clients that I serve. And yeah, it was a big deal at Student Loan Hero. In terms of search intent, you know, it was really in terms of thinking about, you know, what, how can we best answer this question for who's asking it? Like what's most helpful? Um, what questions are people asking and what do they really want to know? I mean, from the search intent aspect of it, it's like, well, what do they ultimately want to do, right? I think, you know, there are a lot of queries about student loans, like there are for any topics and people want to know the answers to questions, things like that. Um, but if you're running a business, you have to think about search intent and like how that person might convert, right? How might they turn into a customer, a client, something like that. Um, so we looked very closely at like, you know, what is this person trying to do? Really trying to get inside the head of the person who's searching. Um, you know, what is their ultimate goal? What do they want to find out? Because a lot of people have, you know, surface level questions, things like that, right? They want information. At the end of the day, you know, they want to Maybe they want to refinance their student loans at a lower rate, pay them off faster. Maybe they need to get on an income-driven plan, something like that. Um, you know, they don't really want to just know kind of that surface level answer to like how to do something like, you know, how to call my student loan servicer or something like that. They really have some further intent behind it in terms of what they're actually trying to solve. And I do want to know a little bit more about the, the work that you're currently doing with Impactfully Media. What led you to ultimately going from like an in-house team and contributor to like branching out on your own and, and launching like this agency? What led you down that path? And like, how has it been going so far? And, and how do you work with, with your clients at Impactfully Media? Yeah, after about three years of being full-time at Student Loan Hero, I left. I left a little before the company ended up being acquired, which I didn't know at the time I was leaving that was going to be acquired. Acquired, So that was a, a really cool surprise a few months later. But I just kind of like working with smaller teams. Um, Student Loan Hero grew a lot. It was up near 80 employees when I left. And obviously when I started, I was the second full-time hire, not counting the co-founders, the fourth person altogether. So it was just like a, a really different dynamic. Um, I kind of like, I don't know, maybe being a big fish in a small pond is more of a way to put it for me. I just kind of enjoy that aspect of it. And I like kind of having my hand in a lot of different buckets. Um, you know, I kind of like doing all different kinds of content marketing, things like that, and collaborating with other teams. And um, that just becomes harder to do, I think, at a larger organization, right? It's like you get a little more specialized into one area. So I think it just was time for me to move on. So I started doing consulting, which I had been doing a little bit before Student Loan Hero. So it was kind of a natural fit just to slide into that. It was definitely definitely open to other opportunities and things like that, but ended up working with some clients that I really liked. And yeah, it's been five years since I've started that consulting route. Yeah. And when you're working with clients, do you do everything from like link building to content creation and technical SEO, or do you specialize into like one area of content marketing or SEO? Yeah. So I don't, I don't do everything. I mostly specialize in content creation with the purpose of getting SEO driven traffic to the site. So basically helping clients figure out, you know, what topics should they write about them, write about how should they write about them, how to pass those instructions along to an editorial team, how to optimize the page, things like that. I do touch on technical SEO at times. I'm not a super, you know, coder person or something like that, but I can definitely, you know, identify problems and all that kind of thing. But I really focus in on that area. It's what I'm best at. There are plenty of other areas that I could get into and I'm just not as interested, not as good. So um, I just kind of leave it at that. And last question about Student Loan Hero before we move on. I think you did an incredible job of building, let's call it like link bait, 
like content that was designed to accumulate backlinks in a really organic way at scale over time. We always talk about backlinks and I think people tend to focus mostly on guest posting or building links to resource pages via outreach or, or maybe even like data-driven content. But I, what I noticed at Student Loan Heroes, you did an incredible job of just picking up backlinks like the old fashioned way by like actually creating targeted content. So I'd love to learn like a little bit more about that process you used to accumulate backlinks through like link bait and which ultimately led to like Student Loan Hero becoming one of the highest authority websites in the industry. Yeah, I think a lot of it was really thinking about, you know, it seems obvious maybe, but thinking about what do people want to link to or need to link to or things like that. The kind of need to link to is actually the big one for me was with the student loan debt statistics page, which was probably my, my biggest success of my SEO career, which gained like about 4,000 referring domains, 13,000 backlinks. Basically, you know, it was just looking at like, what are people linking to out there, right? And there's a lot of news stories about student loans and people are always throwing around like debt numbers and things like that. Like, you know, $37,000 is the average student loan debt. And I'm like, I noticed that like reporters were linking to all different sources or couldn't figure out where to link to or things like that. It was a hard to find statistic. I'm like, what if I just make a page that has this and I'll probably get some people to link to it because it'll just be easy to find all the information's there. And sure enough, it worked. It was mostly all natural links. And, and you know, we didn't really have to do that much work after kind of building a few initial links and, and getting it going. So I think it really comes down to, you know, thinking about what people want to link to, what and, and what, what kind of stuff is really helpful for people. I think, you know, it, it sounds very simple and um, I think it's harder to do than it sounds. It's a lot of kind of researching, looking around and really understanding the space that you're in really well. There are definitely some shortcuts to doing it and, and kind of figuring out. And, you know, I think there are definitely ways you can look at what other people, what other sites already have content with links, a lot of links to it and kind of doing that or doing better if you can actually, you know, do better than something else that's out there that might not be that good. But yeah, I think it's really, really comes down to, you know, considering what the need is in terms of what people need to link to. Yeah, just to recap for our audience, Jeffrey was talking about a student loan debt statistics page on the student loan hero site that they created as link bait, uh, essentially giving journalists or other bloggers something to link to uh, when sourcing within their pieces of content, whether it was like a statistic on average student loan debt or, you know, average loan size or uh, one of the many different statistics in the student loan industry. And they ultimately built 4,000, it sounds like Jeffrey backlinks to that page over time, which is just an incredible number of referring domains to a single page on a website. That's that's amazing. Transitioning on a little bit from uh, your time at Student Loan Hero, back over to like the agency side of things. When you're working with your clients, like a question I always get asked by like, like the, the startups that like we're working with or talking with is like, what is the best way to work with an SEO consultant or an agency? Maybe you already have like an in-house growth or marketing team. Maybe you already have someone who's on the team writing content and you're looking for like some additional resources or expertise to bring in as part of building that strategy. From your view, working with your clients, like how do they work best with you? Or maybe more broadly, how do you work best with an SEO agency that you bring in to help supplement the work you're already doing? Sure. I, I'm pretty biased, I think, in this way, but I'm more of a fan of the done with you than done for you type of model. You know, a lot of agencies offer done for you services, which I think sounds great, right? It's like you just pay them and then they do the work and you don't really have to worry about anything. In my experience of working with those agencies, it doesn't always work that well. 
And I think the main reason is they don't just don't understand your your niche or your industry as well. I think, you know, there's a lot that can do to get to know it, but not all of them take the time to really get to do that. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's the quality of the, the work they output. Let's say it's, you know, blog posts or something like that. It just it doesn't end up being as good, right? It falls a little flat, stuff's generic. They might look at competitors, they might just kind of copy it. So I think, you know, working with an SEO consultant or content marketing consultant or whoever works a lot better when you work closely with them and realize it's kind of a give and take relationship, right? You can't just kind of give them some some stuff, give them a little bit of information and then expect they're going to go on for months and years creating amazing content or doing whatever you've hired them to do. It's really a like kind of relationship to work together on something and really, you know, build something together. I think that's the best way to look at it. Whenever I'm working with our customers, I always tell them like, you need to create fantastic content, but it's, it's often hard to define like what is fantastic content. And I know you mentioned like one of the big things you work with your customers on is creating content. And so from your view, like what is a fantastic piece of content or like a piece of content that will perform really well in search engines? Yeah, I think this is kind of the philosophy I've had for a while, but for any kind of query or, or question or, or problem that someone might have, I think a great piece of content is one that answers the question really completely and concisely. So completely being, you know, what other follow-up questions might they have? What are some other areas they might run into? What questions didn't they know they had that might come up? How can I answer those, predict those and answer them within the piece of content that I'm writing? And I think doing it concisely is really important too. You know, there's been a trend in the past of writing content that's just really long. For a while, that worked really well for SEO is having these like 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 word pages. And that was kind of the default. And it was like, who could have the longest piece of content, right? And that would be the best, right? Well, I don't think that's really being rewarded in Google much anymore. I think I think it's really a matter of the highest quality. And I think, you know, it really comes down to answering questions well, not meandering, not putting fluff in there. So to me, that's the best piece of content. Yeah. And what do you think about going back to like previously published content and like reworking or improving it? Is that something like you have spent a lot of time on? Is that something you would prioritize as part of building a strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is definitely a major pitfall of content creation, right? Is that people create content and just keep doing it without thinking about any of their old content. I, I can see why, right? It's like, all right, well, that piece is already out there. Why do I, why would I spend time updating that when I can create a new piece of content and target a new query or a new audience or something like that? And that's where a lot of people get stuck. I think updating content is hugely important. I try to update every piece of content. I would say like top 100 page of a site or something like that, or something that anything that's like driving conversions or whatever, I try to update that at least once every six months for your top pages, probably even more frequently than that one, two, three months. It's super important to update that, keep the information super fresh, make sure everything's correct. Cause um, any of those issues I think could definitely result in a drop of the ranking and a drop of traffic. And I think you and I have probably both seen it. Like whenever you go back to a piece of content, maybe from like six or nine months ago and you go and tweak it and update it, you start, you, you get like an initial bump, like regardless of if those edits or changes you made were actually helpful. Google seems to want to like test or like prioritize your piece of content again and having made those edits. Is that something you've seen and are still seeing in 2023 where if you go back to a piece of content and you make some some sort of change or edit, like there tends to be like a quick bump or an initial like shake up in terms of the rankings for that piece in a positive way? Yeah, it definitely can happen. I mean, you're definitely not, you know, guaranteed to do that. And I think some sites take it too far by trying to like update every day or 
or just update the date and not update the content. And sometimes that works even. I don't think that's like a great long-term strategy, but I definitely see it happen where content does does initially go up in ranking and hopefully does stay there, right? That's the whole point of updating content and making it better. Um, It definitely can happen. It definitely does happen. So, you know, I encourage all my clients to update their content regularly for that reason it's like you can't you can't take your rankings for granted either and that you're always going to stay there it just doesn't work that way right you you can you can lose rankings other people create content other people come along and they write better things so if you kind of just are sitting on your heels you might lose traffic yeah and i'm about to go on a, a slight rant but i'm sure you've seen it in the the serps the influx of i don't know if i want to call it parasite seo or something else but there's been like a large number of traditional publishers who have gotten into like the finance vertical uh, in particular sites like Forbes or US News who weren't traditionally focused on the finance or personal finance vertical, but they're using like their domain authority as a way to rank very well, very quickly for keywords in these very valuable industries. And as part of my rant, I'd argue that like the quality of the content that they create is often not as good as maybe it would have been at like a student loan hero or a site that actually knows this topic really well, but they're getting outranked by these traditional publishers who just have a large amount of domain authority. I'd be curious to get your perspective on this phenomenon. I'm not really sure what to call it, but I'm sure you've seen it. And do you think this is something that's going to get more prevalent in the years ahead or something that Google's thinking about actively as something maybe that's not as helpful for their searchers? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I get exactly what you mean. Forbes has been the bane of my existence for many years. I do think their content is a little bit better than it used to be, just to be fair. They've I think they've ramped it up a bit, but before it seemed like kind of any contributor could jump on Forbes and publish something and instantly be on page one of Google. So very frustrating there. I think it's quite prevalent today, though. It's, you know, everybody's looking for areas to expand into, right? And these big publishers, it's easy for them to do it. You know, they just need a little bit of domain expertise. They can attract people. They have money. Uh, By attract people, I mean writers to write for them. I think it's, you know, definitely a trend as every site seeks to continue to grow. Going forward, though... I'm not so sure like I'm that concerned about it. The reason why is I think that Google's going to really lean a lot more on EEAT and particularly people's expertise and experience in certain areas. And I think that's what's going to matter most, right? You know, in theory, like if someone's publishing on a large website and doesn't have good experience or expertise, uh, I think Google's not really going to promote that content, even though it's on a big name site. I think that's the future is Google can, Google can recognize expertise a lot better than it used to. And I think that's only going to get better. So I think those publishers that can really have people that demonstrate that expertise and experience in those areas are really going to be the ones that win in the long run. I totally agree with you that like having actual experts writing actually great and helpful pieces of content is is the way that you win in, in 2023. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on AI generated content and Is it something you're using? Should I be using it as like I'm building my websites? What are your thoughts on AI generated content as part of a content marketing strategy? Definitely a a big topic these days in the content marketing world. Um, Pretty mixed feelings on AI myself. Definitely not anti-AI content, but I'm definitely not all in on AI content. The way I like to look at it is I think AI is most useful these days for creating better content and using it to help create the content but not leaning on it too heavily and not letting AI basically write an entire article that you're going to publish. I think right now AI tools can generate like a pretty good, like low to mid quality article. 
Um, and even then they probably need a lot of editing before you really publish it. I know there, there are sites out there that have published just straight AI content. I think they got hit, hit pretty hard by some of the recent Google updates, but there are tools that can generate like a pretty good article, right? It's kind of scraping the web. It's creating kind of maybe a summary of what other articles are out there. And then, um, you know, maybe someone spends like an hour or so to, to edit, fact check it, you definitely have to fact check this stuff and they publish it. And I think it creates like a decent article on pretty generic topics. So that said, I, I do use AI generated content. Sometimes some of my clients do as well. Um, however, always heavily edited and fact checked, um, typically do it for like more general topics. It doesn't work that well for things like, um, thought leadership and those types of things, which I think is its, it's biggest weakness. Any clients I'm using with right now, it's, it's a minority of their content for sure. It's nowhere near hundred percent of their content. So I do use it. I definitely think it'll get better over time, but also I think, like I just mentioned, I think expertise matters a lot and AI just can't have that level of expertise that a human can. Yeah. I think Google too has been like shouting from the rooftops that like you should include a, a byline and an author bio, like on each piece of content you create. And um, I guess if like someone who has, you know, a credential or a license or a degree is willing to put their byline on a piece of content, whether it was written by themselves or written by AI, then I think that's a signal to Google that, you know, that piece has been fact-checked and vetted and actually is a high quality piece of content. And I agree with you. I'm certainly not like the anti-AI guy. I have seen it been used pretty effectively by very large sites as like a supplement to the other 95% of content they've created on their websites. And I also think that like low quality content isn't a new thing for Google to understand. There's been a large amount of low quality content on the internet for the last 20 years. And I think Google has done a better job of, of filtering it out. I think its job's only going to get harder though, with just this massive influx of content. Like I talked to a, a startup the other day that legitimately published like 600 articles to their site in one day that were all generated with AI as like a starting point to their blog. And I don't think that's the right approach. I, I think like you said, making sure that it's fact-checked, edited, it, it is high quality is really important, especially when you're in like a very competitive industry that can have a very big impact on someone's life. The last thing we want is to be publishing content that would be like inaccurate or unhelpful or actually damaging to a reader. As part of your process of, of creating content with your clients, I know from my own experience that like content and high quality content is getting more expensive and has gotten more expensive over the last like six or seven years, what does like an awesome piece of content cost? Like if I was putting my budget together and I'm about to build a budget of, you know, a hundred pieces of content for my site, like what should I expect to pay for that content? And I, I know it varies depending on industry, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts on like what sort of budget I should be thinking about for those new pieces of content I'm paying for. I'd say it probably starts around a thousand dollars when you include kind of everything that goes into it. So um, assuming it's an SEO focused piece of content, you know, the research, the keyword research and doing all the strategy around it, outlining those types of things. I think for a really great piece of content, there are multiple people involved. So of course there's the writer, right? Who's writing the content. So that's one cost right there. There's at least one editor, maybe two people working on it. So there's additional cost for that as well. Perhaps there's graphics and things like that involved, you know, stock imagery or custom imagery or things like that. Um, that's another cost right there. And then I think too, for, for certain types of content, there's also the cost of promoting it, right? So social media, doing outreach, those types of things. So if you really look at all that, this, the costs really do start to add up and can go up quite a bit more from there. 
So I, I think it, you know, it does unfortunately cost a lot to generate this kind of content. And, you know, not everybody has to spend that much, but I think that's generally a fair expectation um, is, you know, the one to $2,000 range, but it can definitely go up from there. When you're creating great content, I, I know you mentioned like outlining and briefing as part of the content creation process. In your experience, what goes into an outline? Like what is an effective outline that we can ultimately give to a freelance writer or, or someone who's creating content on our team? I think really what can go into best go into an outline is if possible, having someone with direct experience in that area, being able to contribute to the outline, like that really knows what questions people are asking firsthand, um, you know, customers, clients, that is, you know, can they can they provide insights on kind of the, the questions that people have? And aside from that, you know, you can look at people also ask questions in Google and harvest questions from there, include those. I think it's really just in making sure that it's really comprehensive information. You know, what what else, what other topics are other competitor competing sites at, um, answering or or what else do they have covered in their article? And, you know, not to say you just copy things like, cause that doesn't work well, but really thinking critically about what the biggest questions are that people have, how to point them in the right direction. I think how to content is super important. So giving people instructions whenever possible, step-by-step step, if it makes sense. So really thinking about how, how can you help them take the next step in terms of whatever they need to do. So I, I think whenever you can convey that to a writer in an outline, that's super helpful. Writers don't always have the same level of knowledge or expertise within an industry or area or topic that maybe someone else at your company does. So I think, you know, including as much of that detail as possible and who you're trying to help is really a good way to structure an outline. I'm sure that you've, uh, you've thought a lot about the changing, you know, organic search UX and UI. I know Google's released that new generative search experience. And a lot of people on Twitter, at least are saying like SEO is dead. And so like, if I'm putting my budget together and I'm prepared to spend, let's call it a hundred or $200,000 over the next like year, building out the blog on my website, could that ultimately be like a waste of money? Like is SEO finally dead uh, from your perspective? It, it could definitely end up being a waste of money. I think that's pretty much true though, for anything related to SEO, right? Nothing's guaranteed. And I think there's more uncertainty than ever around that now, despite, you know, people saying this every year after year, you know, SEO is dead, right? And Obviously, it hasn't died to this point, but is this the biggest threat yet? It could be. So yeah, there's no guarantees, but I, I think that doesn't mean that SEO is dead either. I think there are still ways that people will get traffic through content. I think it just matters, you know, how you think about it. And, and if I was going to spend a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, or more dollars on that, I would definitely be spending it on people with good EEAT expertise and direct experience in those fields. I think that's going to matter the most. I think with Google's new new search, that's the kind of content that they're going to display alongside their AI answers are from authors who have that experience. So I, I wouldn't be wasting the money generating, you know, 600 plus AI articles and publishing those and those doing those types of things. I think that kind of stuff might work in the short term. And if that's fine with you, go for it. But in the long term, I definitely think low quality stuff is going to get pushed way down in Google. And so I would elevate quality even more. And I'd start by doing that with who's writing the posts and hiring those the best possible people to write the posts. And everyone's asking me, how do I get my content included into that new giant featured snippet at the top of search results? And I don't have a great answer. So I'm going to ask you, like, how can I get my pieces of content included into those 
generative AI responses or or large featured snippets that Google might be including into searches everywhere. I mean, we don't really know for sure yet, right? We have some guidelines from Google and things like that. But again, I think it goes along with what I just said about experience, expertise in those factors. I think that's what's going to go the furthest. I, I do think also having somebody that has expertise and that can really speak on it is going to be the hardest for Google to replicate with AI, right? I think AI is not a person. It doesn't know real things. It hasn't done actual, you know, hasn't gotten a mortgage or something like that, right? It can only it can only know what it knows by reading the internet or or whatever. And so having people that actually, you know, are work in the mortgage industry or something like that, it's just they're just going to have knowledge that AI is going to have a lot harder time replicating. And I think that's the kind of kind of content that Google's really going to feature is stuff that's complementary to the kind of informational answers that AI can give, show people who have real experiences. And there's a lot of video content and things like that with people demonstrating those types of experience they have and stuff too. And again, AI just can't replicate those kinds of things. So I think that's the kind of content that's going to do best and show up highest. In some sense, what you're describing feels like uh, journalism, essentially like getting real sources doing the research, getting expert commentary that like an AI couldn't find or generate at, at being new. And then including that, especially in industries that are, are actively changing, like the, the student loan industry, for example. And speaking of video, is video something that you're thinking about or prioritizing in, in the work that you do with with your clients as part of creating content on their sites? So I, don't, I don't do a lot with video personally. I, I like advise a little bit on video content and stuff like that, but I don't actually do any video production, but I have clients that do it and they've had good results with it. I think it's definitely something I'll be looking into more in terms of how it relates to AI results in Google and seeing, you know, is that have a bigger impact than maybe it does now? Is Google really pref preferring that kind of content? Definitely read a lot about it in terms of um, these new AI results. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. And as far as like your day to day goes, uh, there's a lot to do like every single day when you're building an organic search channel. And there are a lot of things that I've found are a total waste of time, things that I'm spending time on that don't actually move the needle for me or for my websites. What are like one or two things that you think are just like a total waste of time or just not worth spending time on as, as you're building one of these strategies? Yeah, I think the biggest one for me is I see a lot of sites just trying to get any kind of traffic they can in in low competition areas. So I think, you know, I'll see like a site say like, oh, wow, like I could write about like a, a celebrity or something, right? Like Kim Kardashian's big in the news right now. Let's put an article about, about that and, or something like those areas or, or just something else that's like a really low competition keyword, but doesn't have anything to do with their business. And then they end up getting traffic, but the traffic is pretty much useless and has no value. I've just seen this from a lot of sites that they're like top performing page is just something not related to their business at all. And I think it feels good to get a lot of traffic from a keyword or, or from a page like that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really help accomplish any business goals. So I, I really think, you know, websites should really focus on content that has high intent, content that converts and not kind of this other stuff that they can publish just because it seems easier. They get get traffic to it. So I'd say that's the biggest waste of time. Yeah. Page views do not necessarily equal dollars. Jeffrey, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And if it's okay with you, I would love to wrap things up with a quick, like four or five question lightning round. Does that sound good to you? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So my first question is what's your favorite tool? What tool are you using most? Maybe what tools most valuable for you on a, on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, my favorite tool is still probably SEMrush. I just really love using the tool for, it has so much information inside of it. Definitely the best keyword research tool I've ever worked with. 
Um, there's just a lot of information there. I find it really easy to use. I could probably spend all day in there just researching different competitors and things like that because it's just so, so much in there. Yeah. Speaking of competitor research, how much do you use your competitors as like inspiration for those keywords or topics that you go after? Uh, I, I would say I use them a lot. I think it's super helpful for finding gaps in your content. You know, it's the first and easiest place to look is seeing what other competitors have written about that you haven't covered yet. Definitely a great place to go if you've already produced a lot of content and you're kind of wondering what to write about or to cover next. So yeah, that's a huge one for me is looking at competitors and studying their websites and their their keywords and that kind of stuff. Should we be buying backlinks in 2023? Does it still make sense? I would say yes. I I, I kind of think you have to, to be competitive in some areas. I know a lot of people don't like that answer and I, I don't really like it either, but I think just from what I've seen, that's the reality. I think people should be very careful about how they go about it and very conscious and, you know, tread lightly in that area because you can get caught, you can get penalized. Google's has more algorithmic penalties these days, for sure. Um, there's a web spam algorithm update back in December. But I think to be competitive in certain areas, you just have to, and you're just not going to be able to build links to certain pages naturally, you're going to have to buy them. What does it cost to buy a backlink in 2023? I, I would say for a good backlink, probably, I don't know, three to six hundred dollars for a decent one it can go way up from there thousand plus depending on the site so you're definitely looking at in the hundreds of dollars for the most part um depends on if you're doing it yourself or you're, you're outsourcing it but if you're outsourcing it hundreds of dollars if you're doing it yourself maybe a little bit less okay and my final question is imagery uh, is it worth creating like beautiful graphics or visuals to incorporate into your posts? Or is that just a waste of time? I would say absolutely yes on that one. Actually, I, I'm really so sick of stock photos. I, I can't stand it. I hate including them. But it's obviously a lot easier to use stock photos and use real photos. And I think if you can even take it a step above that and create, you know, charts, graphs, images, things that are interactive, that kind of stuff, it's really going to help you stand out. So I would say absolutely yes, if you can find a good way to use graphics and imagery in your posts. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot from this conversation. I definitely think our listeners will too. How do people get in touch with you? If they want to learn more about Impactly Media or follow you on social media, how do our listeners get in touch and, and follow along with all the work you're doing? Sure. So my website's impactfullymedia.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, you can just search for Jeffrey Troll. That's probably where I'm most active these days. And uh, yeah, those are the best places to find me. Heck yeah. And we'll definitely include that in our show notes too uh, on our website. You'll get a backlink from us, I promise. So for all our listeners, if you want to get in touch with Jeffrey or work with Impactly Media, we'll, we'll include a link over to his site in the show notes. But thank you so much, Jeffrey. It was a pleasure to do this with you today. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what Positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out. 